welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, College for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, June 23rd, we are studying Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 21. In today's text, John sees heaven opened, and Jesus riding on a white horse is the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Price. Pastor Price serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Price, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks for having me back. So we get started today, Pastor Price, talk to us a little bit about the book of Revelation as a whole. How should we approach this book as Christians so that it's helpful and useful to us? The book of Revelation is in the style of, of apocalyptic literature. Uh, we have this kind of literature in the prophets, especially uh, both the major and minor prophets. Uh, you, you especially have... A lot of the a lot of the language similar to the prophet Daniel, uh, where he has these heavenly visions of the things that are to come. Um, so one of the characteristics that you find is uh, n- is a kind of numerology, a use of numbers. Uh, so just like how Daniel talks about you know the seventy weeks and 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 and, and uh, stuff like that. So Revelation will speak of, you know, a thousand, a thousand years, and it's speaking in, in periods of time that are not exact, but they are, but they're given in a sort of code. And Revelation is meant to be interpreted according to the uh, rule of faith, if you will, the, the, that is the clear texts of Scripture. Uh, so a lot of people make the mistake of, of interpreting the rest of scripture in light of revelation and they'll take literally the thousand year reign for example uh, and then you get all these you get i was actually just talking to a lady today about this about how they they all these churches splinter off over so many different theories and 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 positions on the the end of the world Uh, but jesus is very clear that that he is going to come at, at an hour that no one knows. Uh, and, and Paul is clear in 1 Thessalonians that he will come uh, with, the, with the shout of the archangel and he will judge the living and the dead. Uh, and and so, so what Revelation, the role that Revelation plays is to give comfort to the Christians uh, who are living as strangers in the world. And they observe in the world the forces of darkness uh, that are coming against the church of Christ. And they're going through great persecution. Uh, so when you go to Revelation 7, for example, he sees the vision of a multitude in heaven of those who cannot be numbered from different languages and tribes and nations. And he asks, who are they? And 
these are they who came out of the great tribulation uh, so that great tribulation obviously includes the sufferings here on earth the the opposition uh, of the enemies of Christ uh, that manifest themselves uh, in kings and rulers uh, but uh, but especially uh, manifest themselves in false teachers and those who would deceive even the elect as Jesus says and bring great trouble on the body of Christ here on earth uh, and of course the, the the center of the great tribulation is the sin that we're born into and that we are delivered from this through our baptism into Christ by the washing of our robes uh, in the blood of the lamb and so what revelation is describing is something that has already been accomplished uh, by Christ's death and resurrection, but it's not yet to be seen in full. Um, so, so we have uh, a fancy word that you and I would have learned when we were in seminary is uh, proleptic. Yeah. Um, that 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 word that it means that uh, we it, it it it's all accomplished, but it's it's not yet in full, you know, manifest. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's now, now, but not yet. So right. revelation gives us a vision of heaven. Um, and by heaven, I mean, everything that's stored up for us, everything that Christ has won for us, um, heaven, not necessarily being some celestial, you know, place. Um, although I don't want to, I don't want to get away from the idea that we are going to be with the Lord, you know, um, yeah. Uh, but but it is heaven is our entire inheritance. Everything that God in Christ has prepared for us from the foundations of the world and in the fullness of time has brought about. And so he's describing uh, through these images of you know the beast and the harlot or the whore um, of Babylon um, and these uh, and these these evil creatures who represent the devil, the Antichrist, those who are attacking the church and perverting the gospel um, and deceiving uh, the whole world, uh, there's this great battle between them and Christ and his angels. And uh, so I, I would recommend if someone is going to take a dive into Revelation, I would recommend first first reading really just the rest of the Bible. That's what <laughs> but, everybody but else has said. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but especially, uh, but especially read... Uh, get a try to get a good handle of the of the histories and what's really helpful is you know obviously it's good to read the major prophets I definitely read Daniel yeah um but read the minor prophets as well and it's, what's nice about the minor prophets is that they're short enough they're called minor just because they're shorter not because they're less important uh in fact some of them are I mean I would say that Zechariah is probably if you were to rank it it's, you know it's up there with Isaiah uh, but to read the Minor Prophets um, and Daniel uh, with the history of the kings. And it, and it often tells you, it always tells you when the prophet was writing, right? So, for example, Hosea is writing during the time of Jeroboam II um, in Israel. Um, and, and so, you know, you can, you can just go back into, you know, Chronicles and, you know, Second Kings and see what's going on there. And so it gives you, when you read through these 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 prophets, then you, you get a good handle of the history of Israel's wealth. And so a lot of the references are gonna, they're not gonna go uh, go over your head if you ground yourself in the references here. 
Um, and then when you, so then when you read Revelation, you need to understand that this is written to those who have been catechized. It's written to those who already know, uh, have already been taught the basics of the Christian faith. And, and it's going to, are you going to learn stuff from Revelation? Yes, but it's more of you're being reinforced in the truth. Like the, the, the truth that you've already learned from the rest of the scriptures is being reinforced in a very beautiful way. Um, but if you go into Revelation thinking that you're going to get some, some uh, greater truths that you didn't get in the rest of scripture, then you're already going in, you know, blind. <laughs> so that's right. That's right. That's right. So in Revelation 19, we've already heard the rejoicing that's happening there in heaven, the hallelujah chorus that's happening at the marriage supper of the Lamb and his kingdom that has no end. And on the heels of that, then John's going to see Jesus here in this text. Any thoughts on the, the co context before we jump in to this particular text in 19? Yeah. Yeah, so the context here is, you know, the, the, the great battle uh, between, uh, you know, the beast, uh, the, the horror of Babylon, and the Lord Jesus Christ has now come to uh, a culmination, and the beast has been thrown down. Babylon has fallen. Um, and so you have the you have the celebration of this, the Lamb's wedding feast, and of course Christ is the bridegroom, and the group and the bride is the church. But with this feast, uh, you have this feast has been prepared, and this is something. This is a theme throughout Scripture, and uh, actually, I found looking through this a lot of references to Isaiah, uh, where Isaiah is filled with the the theme of fruitfulness and of harvest and that God is using, he's, he's the one doing the planting. He's the one who is, who is getting the, the vineyards ready. He planted the vineyard. He's getting the wine ready. You know, he's, he's preparing the entire feast. And so what we're going to see here, uh, in verses 11 through the rest of the chapter is how is 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 how the the how the Christ uh, who's called uh, the faithful and true one uh, how he has brought all of this about that he is the one and you sort of see the evidence in him um, of you know like his his garments are stained you know so you you have this image of someone who has almost like a cook you know who's come out of the kitchen. And you get a glimpse of him coming out of the kitchen and he's prepared this magnificent meal and his apron is all just filled with all sorts of food and, you know, and, 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 and meat and blood because he's been doing everything. Right. So, yeah. so it's like we give, we have this image of the lamb himself who is the host and the guest. Right. And so, so this, we're, we're probably, here seeing an image of him as the host as the one who yeah. is the host and the 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 cook and the you know the just the one who's done everything yeah. um yeah so maybe i mean even a connection to, to psalm 23 that the lord prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies i mean here yeah. you have the table and the enemies side by side and we're going to see how that how that plays out here in this text so let's go ahead and read this this is from revelation 19 beginning at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, 
and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That's our text for today. That is Revelation 19, verses 11 to 21. All right, Pastor Preuss, so we see Jesus, he's riding a white horse, and he's got a couple names here at the beginning, faithful and true, and in those names he's going to judge and make war in righteousness. Talk to us about this initial description of Christ. Yeah, so... His name is Faithful and True. Uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he is. Uh, he judges and makes war in righteousness. And this is this is describing the righteousness that he's won for all sinners. That's the simplest uh, explanation for this. Uh, when you see, I mean, a good rule of thumb in Scripture is when you see the word righteousness <clears throat> describing God, you should first consider the righteousness by which he justifies sinners, by which he declares the sinner righteous. Now, that there's obviously more to it than that. Uh, when you unpack uh, scripture, you know, you, you, you look at the righteousness of the law. So the righteousness by which he slays the wicked, uh, the righteousness by which he demands perfection um, and punishes evil, punishes sin. But what it all, what it, what it's all fulfilled in is Christ uh, bringing about salvation, um, and so so that so he's so in Matthew chapter three, uh, when Jesus was baptized, you know we all we should be familiar with this with this account where John says, "I need to be baptized by you," and Jesus says, "Let it be done that we may fulfill all righteousness." So Jesus is he's he fulfills righteousness on behalf of all sinners. Psalm twenty eight also comes to mind, where it says that. Uh, that he has revealed his righteousness to the heathen, to the nations, um, and that he will judge the nations with righteousness and the peoples with equity. I remember, I love Psalm 98. I think it's one of my favorite Psalms. Um, I, I, I remember when my grandma was dying and I went to go visit her and I, I gave a little devotion on Psalm 98 and talked about how, uh, you know, at the end of life, uh, there are so many things that you don't know when you look back in life and so many things that 
you, you, we want to make judgments on things, you know, we, we, we want to be able to, uh, make the right decisions and all that. Um, but, uh, but we can't, we don't know everything. And, uh, but we know that he, that the Lord is going to judge in righteousness and equity that is in fairness. Um, and this is the, we, we don't need to be afraid because we know this righteousness. We know it by faith. Um, so then the war he wages is, of course, it's against the forces of darkness and the heavenly places, as Paul says in Ephesians 6. And what does Paul tell us to put on? He, put, he tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. So he is, he is declaring us righteous by his righteousness. And it follows then that he's judging all matters by his righteousness. Um, and he's warding off the forces of the devil by his righteousness. And so what, how did they overcome uh, the, you know, what is this, Revelation 12? How did they overcome the devil, right? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testament. That is by the righteousness, you know, we are justified by his blood, the righteousness of Jesus, uh, which, which speaks a better word than Abel. Yeah. So Jesus then is described, he's, we see a little bit of his appearance, which we saw this some echoes of this in chapter 1, where John first is confronted, He, the risen Christ appears to him. Here again, we have Jesus' eyes like a flame of fire. He's got diadems on his head. He's got a name written that no one knows but himself. Talk to us about the eyes, at least to get started. Yeah, like, like you said earlier in Revelation, we have, we have a similar image. Um, you know, the this brightness, this, this, this magnificent, uh, portrayal, uh, of Christ is shown in transfiguration. Uh, there are, there are several, uh, portions of scripture, like in Daniel, you know, he has the image of the son of man. Um, but this image of the eyes, uh, being like flames of fire, it resembles the, the prophecy that Jacob gives of judah that is not of judah personally but of judah's descendant who is the christ um this is in revelation chapter 49 but this time you know he's talking about the king uh shiloh uh who uh who is going to come from from the line of of, of judah and he 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 talks about him having eyes as dark as wine um and teeth as white as milk uh now it's it's not quite the same image but but they're certainly related so jacob is speaking of the great abundance and fruitfulness of christ so just as, so just as god promised that in the land of judah and in and in israel that the, he would bless them with fruitfulness you know fruitfulness of their vines um if you remember the 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 spies uh who were sent into the land of canaan uh they saw grapes you know like really big grapes that people were carrying um, and of course, God referred to this land as the land uh, flowing with milk and honey. Um, so, so it's that promise of fruitfulness, which was, which, which a sign of that was in the actual promised land that God did bless them with fruitfulness. But it, it's also describing the fruitfulness that the the Christ, that the Lord Himself is going to bring about. And so, it's helpful then to go back to Isaiah five. Uh, where we have that song of God's vineyard. So God sings about his beloved one, um, who is Christ, who's the son of God, 
who has planted a vineyard, but when he looked for grapes, he found wild grapes and sour grapes. And, and, and the, he, he, you know, he wanted a great harvest, but what he found was very little, but what's hidden under this indictment against Israel is this remnant of fruitfulness. So even though it's very, it yields very little, it still does yield a little. And so if you jump then to, uh, Isaiah 27, he returns to that theme of the vineyard and he talks about how, how he, the Lord himself, uh, brings about a fruitful vineyard and he, and, and the way he does this is by bringing judgment. And this is what, you know, to understand this theme of his, you know, the fiery eyes, you need to understand how the judgment that God brings is related to the atonement that he brings. So just as he slays the wicked in judgment, and this goes with him judging in righteousness, that that goes hand in hand with him burying the judgment of the whole world on himself. Um, so there's there's something deeper in this imagery. And I, if, I, if I could, I'd like to, could I quote uh, uh, a few verses from Isaiah chapter 63, just to give a, Sure. image of this okay so so yeah. if you just if you just bear with me and follow this image of the fruitfulness and how god has prepared the vineyard um he he is the one who trods on the wine press so he says in isaiah 63 who is this who comes from edom with dyed garments from bozrah the this one who is glorious in his apparel traveling in the greatness of his strength I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red? So here we're addressing God. Why is your, your apparel red? And your garments like one who treads in the winepress. I have trodden the winepress alone, God says. And from the peoples, no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. So you, you clearly hear this message of judgment that he's brought judgment on the wicked, but he, you also have very clear notes of him bringing salvation that his own right arm brought salvation. He says, this is the year of vengeance, but also the year of my redeemed. Right? Okay. So, so this, so here, when we get to, to this image in revelation where his eyes are like fire, it is connected to his eyes, like, like the blood of grapes, you know, like red, like grapes, because it does, it, it, it does refer to his fruitfulness that he has prepared this great feast. He has brought about the fruit. He has made atonement. He has trodden the wine press alone, but this means that he, and this means that he's brought judgment and that he's made atonement because he alone has been slain from the foundations of the world. He's taken away all sin and therefore all judgment belongs to him. And this is very, this is, 
this is very important to 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 connect these two because if Christ has not made atonement for the sins of the whole world, then he can't be the judge of the whole world, right? And if he is the judge of the whole world, that's because he's made atonement for the whole world. And and so judgment, you know, un, hidden under jud God's judgment is always redemption. And it's always it's something that's hidden, um, but it's going to be revealed uh, uh, for for us to to see very clearly. Um, but we should never pit these two against each other, but understand that that the the salvation is hidden under the cross, right? Uh, redemption is hidden under judgment. And this is true throughout scripture. Start with, go to, to Noah, you know, and the destruction of the whole world. And yet that remnant is saved. Um, and this continues throughout scripture. So that lack of fruitfulness then leads God to tread on the wine press to 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 actually or to cultivate the land and make sure that 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 that, that his vineyard does bear fruit he treads on the wine press he makes all the preparations and that's his judgment but at the same time his redemption uh for for sinners yeah i think that's a, a fantastic connection to keep together atonement and judgment it relates to the eyes, as you've been saying here with that reference to Genesis 49. I think this also connects to the fact that the robe that he is wearing in Revelation 19 is dipped in blood, but I think we should talk a little bit more about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Andrew Preuss this morning about Revelation 19. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, June 23rd. We're studying Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 21 with Pastor Andrew Price. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we were talking about the connection between atonement and judgment. You connected that with the image of Jesus' eyes being like a flame of fire and what Jacob preaches in Genesis 49 concerning Judah. I think it also is related to the fact that his robe is dipped in blood here in verse 13, connects to the trotting of the wine press. I guess the question, and maybe maybe it's a both and, whose whose blood is on his robe, do you think? Well, this goes back to what I was saying about him being the universal savior uh goes hand in hand with him being the, the universal judge. Uh so it is his blood because he has shed his blood for all people. Um, but the scriptures also speak of, like, for example, in, uh, what is this, is Hebrews 6, talking about those who, who refuse to believe the gospel, who have heard the gospel and accepted it, but then, then reject it, are crucifying anew the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, 
and uh and then more explicitly first corinthians 11 talking about those who eat and drink his body and blood in an unworthy manner are, are become guilty of the blood the body and blood of the lord and and in in the prophets uh you have a lot of talk of blood guilt um and so blood guilt would refer to you know murder uh injustice uh but it would also refer to uh bad sacrifices uh either sacrifices to false gods or sacrifices to god in the temple but without faith uh and so you know god says in in isaiah 1 that he's had enough of their of their of their uh their offerings so um so with the so so the, whose blood is it it's jesus's blood but then in the judgment his blood is required of those who reject him who so unbelief turns atonement into condemnation you know so so when you look at the the death of christ uh because whose flesh and blood did the son of god assume everyone's he, you know not like everyone in particular but you know he 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 assumed our flesh and blood our human nature so he made universal atonement for all all people everywhere of all time but those who reject this those who do not have faith in their hearts whose hearts uh uh you know, rebel against this gospel of christ's blood are then the blood is required uh, at their hands uh this is like you know like in ezekiel was it 33 he talks about warning the wicked. I think it's twice. I think it's Ezekiel yeah, three it's, and three. It's, yeah, you're right. He has a his call gets repeated. So yeah, it's twice. Yeah, yeah. And so he, you know, he says, you know, if you don't warn the wicked and they don't turn from their wickedness, then I'll require their blood. They will die for their sin, and I'll require their blood at your hands. Um, and so this this the blood of Jesus then becomes a it is a blessing it's meant to be a blessing for all people for them to be sprinkled just like they were in exodus uh with the with the first covenant they were sprinkled with with the blood of the i think it was the bull um and uh and then you know in isaiah 53 it talks about how he will sprinkle many nations with his own blood but but again those who reject this blood those who like the like the Jewish leaders said, let his blood be on us and our children, which is a very ironic statement because his blood should be on you and your children uh, as a blessing. But in their unbelief, they receive it as a curse. So the blood that is that his garments are dipped in, it, it becomes their blood because they don't trust in Jesus. Um, so, so, so it, it it's kind of depends on which angle you look at. Um, if you're looking at it from the angle of what Christ has accomplished, uh, yeah, it's his own blood. And it's like the marks and this, you know, it's the evidence that he did all this, you know? So earlier I, I mentioned kind of the image of like the chef who comes out and he's yeah. got a dirty apron and stuff. And it's the evidence that he's been working all day on this great banquet. Uh, but then it, it or, or the butcher, you know, has been butchering, uh, but that's the, uh, so, but, and yet it's his own blood 
Um, but if you're looking at it from the from the perspective of of judgment and condemnation, well, then it's their blood. But that's only through unbelief. So, so that's I mean, the the, the two have to go together. Uh, otherwise, otherwise it just otherwise we Jesus Jesus's judgment over all flesh, um, and, and thereby you know his slaying and shedding of blood uh, is. He, he has that solidifies his atonement uh, for all flesh. Um, so yeah, the blood is, I mean, I, and again, this goes back to what we were saying before about kind of the nature of these prophecies of these, these uh, apoca, apocalyptic uh, uh, writings that the prophecy is sort of is like, you know, you have these mountain tops, these mountain ranges and you know they look like they're really close to each other but they're in reality very far apart but here what you find in christ is that judgment and atonement really come come together yeah yeah so another name that jesus receives in this text is the word of god which is there in verse 13. john picks this up in his gospel very famously in the prologue the first verse in the beginning was the word so talk to us about this name for jesus yeah. Uh, so yeah. So like you said, John chapter one says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him. Um, all things were made through Him." Uh, so He is, uh, you know, the Word of the Lord came to Abram uh, in uh, in Genesis chapter fifteen. This is the second person of the Trinity. Uh, he. He, you know, some translations say the Lord spoke to Abram in, in Genesis chapter 15, but literally it's the word of Yahweh, the word, you know, Davar Yahweh, the word of the Lord came um, or happened uh, to Abram saying. Um, so he is, the, this is, this is a clear name for the second person of the Trinity. Uh, Jesus Christ, who was with God and was God from the beginning. And so this is solidifying again who this person is, uh, that this is, this is, this is the Lord God. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, I suppose, I mean, is, do you have anything else to add about him being the word other than that? No, he, no. I mean, it's just, I, mean, I it's, it seems significant that you've got John who's getting this revelation mm -hmm. and then he picks it up in his gospel, that that's a pretty key title for Jesus. And the Old Testament background, I think, is, is really helpful. There's more names. What about the fact that on his thigh, he's got the name King of Kings, Lord of Lords? We've heard this before, but in this context, again, it, he's riding his, his horse, he's victorious. Seems pretty important again. Yeah, and I'd be curious to hear your... I didn't really dig deep into you know the significance of it being on his thigh um yeah. you know that it sounds like a military uh you know kind of a military image um you know his his he's he's girded his loins um for battle um and so his thighs are showing uh and uh and so he he's his his thigh kind of like his arm you know the arm of the lord uh, it describes the Son of God, uh, but the strength of the Lord, you know. And so his thigh, I would think, describes something similar—the strength of of, of God. Um, but but it's 
here is written the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. This does harken back to uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, um, that he is, uh, he is a God of God and Lord of Lords. Um, and, uh, and this is, this is Moses sent, uh, telling the people this as he's preparing them to go into the promised land. He's preaching to them at Moab and warning them against, uh, you know, the other pagan nations and not to be mingled in with their idolatry, uh, but to listen to the word of the Lord um, and to, to establish the, the Lord's, that the, to, to give them the certainty that the Lord's name is established over all the earth. But what's also significant here is that here we see the name, the, the, we should think of the, the inscription um, above his head on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Um, and, and now it's, it's almost replaced or, or it's revealed in his glory as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, you know, obviously Jesus means the Lord saves. Uh, and Nazareth is, uh, you know, where he's from, but it also has the connection to the, the branch um, in Isaiah 11. Uh, that that comes out of the stump of Jesse, um, and it's talked about a lot by uh, Zechariah as well. Uh, that he is he is the branch, he is the he is the priest who sits on the throne. <clears throat> so he's the priest and the king. Um, so so King of Kings, Lord of Lords, um, you know, is 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 the it, it's it it's again it solidifies it culminates uh, exactly who he is. Um, you know, this reminds me of Handel's Messiah, uh, yeah. which is just a fantastic uh, composition to listen to. I love Bach. Um, I recently went to uh, Bach's Passion, uh, and my one of my kids was sick, so my wife had to stay home, so I brought my oldest daughter with. and It was really cool because she enjoyed it. She, she recognized a lot of the hymns because nice. she's a Lutheran. <laughs> And her pastor <laughs> picks Lutheran hymns, um, and uh, but so so I love Bach, but I have to say, listening to Handel's great because I speak English, and I really wish I knew German better. Um, and uh, but Handel is just really his Messiah is just beautiful, and that last portion, uh, the Alleluia chorus, and the you know yep. the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is, Lord. is really wonderful. And if our, if if the listeners haven't Gone, haven't listened to Handel's Messiah. I would really recommend it. Just go on YouTube and type it in. Yeah, and you yeah, can... listen to the listen to the whole thing. Yeah, not not just the Hallelujah chorus. Yeah, not just the uh, for unto us a child is born around Christmas time. Listen to the whole thing and yeah. the, the scriptural references. And we've seen several from the Book of Revelation already. And and again, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's in there. You, you were asking about the thigh. And Dr. Brighton, in his commentary, I think makes a suggestion as one possibility that might connect to something you were saying about atonement and judgment. He he recalls the fact that Jacob, and or Jacob when he receives his name Israel, he wrestles with God, and he touches God touches him there on the the socket of his hip, right there by his thigh, and so so Dr. Brighton says maybe this suggests that the real quote conqueror of God, and I'm I'm quoting here 
the one who successfully endured the judgment and anger of God the Father is Jesus Christ. Which, which might connect with what you were saying about the connection between atonement and judgment. So the mention of the name on his thigh is a reminder that Jesus is the one who endured that judgment in our place to make atonement for us. That's, that's one suggestion that I think ties into what you were saying earlier. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, they didn't eat that part of the hip uh, as a memorial. Um, and, uh, and, and Jacob had the limp. Uh, the marks, so to speak, you know, the evidence, yeah. like whenever they saw him limp, they knew because he wrestled with God. And, yep. uh, and, and so, so th this is just a, a common way in which God works. God works with marks. And uh, the, I remember actually listening to a Sharper Iron episode you did with my brother James uh, a while back. You were going through uh, the Wesley... Uh, uh, oh, Charles Lohi Wesley comes with clouds descending. Yeah, yeah, and you were you were you were both kind of, you know, uh, uh, I guess ironing out um, uh, to the for the theme, um, you know, whether Jesus still has his marks of the nails, and I thought James made a pretty good case that he does. Um, mm. You know, we can we be as dogmatic about it? Uh, uh, maybe not, but but he. His, his blood still intercedes for us. And, you know, we, we, it's, it's, again, the thigh, okay, maybe the, there's the connection with Jacob. That, I really like that. That sounds, that sounds uh, very interesting. Obviously, it's his feet and his hands and his side uh, where the marks are. But nevertheless, there's a marking on him. And this is a very prominent theme, again, throughout Scripture, but also in Revelation, where you know you have those who have the mark of the beast, and you have those who are marked by Christ, whose names are written in the book of life. And so Christ himself is marked with this title, King of Kings uh, and Lord of Lords. And this marking is for the, 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 the assurance of our salvation. Uh, so, you know, he, 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 is, he is forever marked as the King of Kings, Lord, Lord. The other thing too is go back to like Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Has he not always been King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Yes, he, he has. And that's true from Deuteronomy 10, that he is God of gods, Lord of Lords. Um, and, 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 and yet he now stands as King of King and Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords all authority been give, having been given to him, he stands with that for us. So he stands with that status for us. He's always had that status, but now he's established that. It's, he's reestablished it. Not that he ever gave it up, but in his humiliation, he took on the form of a servant so that he might be exalted, but this time with the name the Lord saves, with this the name Jesus, the name King of Kings, as the one who rules us and intercedes for us is faithful. Yeah. That's good. That's good, Pastor Preuss. Now, for the we could keep talking about these titles for Jesus, but for the sake of, of continuing through the text, I want to talk now about what this king riding on the white horse comes out to do. So there's an angel that announces in verse 17 a feast, another supper. And we were talking about the supper that was prepared, the marriage supper for the Lamb and his kingdom that has no end. What's going on with the supper that we find out about in this text? 
Yeah, so <clears throat> so so yeah, he he's prepared this great supper by treading on the wine press, right? He's 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 done all the preparation by his atonement and and uh and in his judgment uh he he's shown that he's prepared this this wedding banquet in heaven for his saints. Um and we uh, we await this great banquet and of course these words are written to give us this great assurance um but it, it, this banquet also corresponds to uh this morbid picture that he paints uh of of a fe of another kind of feast uh for the birds um so just as we will feast on the fruits of Christ's salvation even as we presently have a foretaste of that feast in his word and sacraments, um, especially in the Lord's Supper, um, so will the enemies of Christ be defeated. Uh, you know, Malachi describes them as like dust under our feet, um, that there is, there is a sure victory, that those who trouble us will not trouble us. Uh, those who oppose his word will be eaten by the birds like Jezebel was eaten by the dogs, right? If you remember the story of Jehu, um, one of my favorite memes, by the way, is uh, this, it, it, it's a picture of some guy like yelling out of his car at someone and it says, you drive like Jehu of Nimshi. And anyone who is, you know, a Bible nerd um, who reads, uh, you know, Second Kings um, and reads the story of Jehu coming and fulfilling God's God's judgment against the house of Ahab and taking that wicked, nasty woman Jezebel, throwing her and, and, and actually telling someone else to throw her down off the palace. Um, that that uh, my, son, my son, who's 12, tells me that that's his favorite Bible story. <laughs> but, uh, but it is, you know, then they go and they go and they go and eat. <laughs> and then they get back to bury her, but she's already been eaten up by the dogs. Yeah. And of course it's very morbid, but it shows that God, God doesn't mess around his, as surely as his redemption is full um, and, and complete, his judgment is going to be full. He's not, he, he, he you know, so, so, you know, and, and this shows that this, this should give us confidence in his word. Uh, so, you know, there's the, maybe, I don't know if, I, I don't want to steal your thunder if you wanted to ask a question about like the sword, like coming out of his mouth and stuff like that. Cause that, that, I think that very much corresponds to, to all of this. Sure. Tie, tie the sword into, into what's going on here. We've yeah. got about seven minutes left, by the way. Oh, okay. All right. So, you know, it talks about how there's a sword coming out of his mouth. Um, yeah. And his his word is powerful. I mean, he is the word. Uh, so Isaiah 11, verse 4, uh, that's where, you know, it talks about the, the, the shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse. That's It talks about this branch uh, who is, of course, the Lord Jesus, who will judge uh, with righteousness. Um, and, uh, and, and in verse 4, it says that he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. So in the last day, he's going to reveal just how powerful his gospel is and how powerful his gospel always has been. That this gospel that we teach the, to little children, uh, is, it's, it is a powerful two-edged sword. 
And as Psalm 2 says, he'll, he'll break the nations with a rod of iron, dash them to pieces like a powder's vessel. And yet at the end, it says, it says, uh, blessed is everyone who puts his trust in him. Uh, and, and so, and, and, and so this is, uh, you know, this gives us comfort about, about the, the word of God that we, that we presently have, uh, yeah. that, that is despised. So, um, I suppose you probably want to talk about the burning like a fire. Well, it's not that I want to talk about the burning like a fire, but it is, in this, you... <laughs> this is in the text. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and this is where the, this has been leading. We're seeing the defeat of God's enemies. And I like the way that you were saying this is, God's not going to leave some enemy out there floating around, hanging out in the dark that might catch us by surprise. He's going to deal with absolutely every threat. And so we've seen that fall and fall in his Babylon the Great. Here in this text, we see him deal with the beast and the false prophet, those two beasts from Revelation 13. In the next chapter, we're going to see him deal with the dragon. So absolutely every enemy of the Lord is going to be overthrown. What strikes me about this one, as, as commentators that I read pointed out, is just how easy it is for the Lord. When you think about the way that these, these various demonic forces have assembled all the power and might that they have, here, their downfall is described very simply. The beast is captured, and the false prophet, and they're thrown into the lake of fire. That's how easy it is for God to defeat our enemies, and to do so absolutely completely, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the burning lake of fire, it's, it's important for us to remember that this is not prepared for, for people, even though people will be thrown into it, but only because they have received the mark of the beast through, through, their, through their unbelief. Um, uh, but it's prepared for the devil and his angels, as Jesus says in Matthew 25. Um, and that's why, so God has created hell because he loves us. I mean, that's a, it's a very mature statement to wrap, to, to be able to, to, to grasp that. Um, my, my dad was, was told one time um, by, by someone that, that she, she, she said something like, well, she didn't like the existence of hell. And she said, well, well, uh, she kind of accused my dad of like, wanting there to be a hell and my or like liking the teaching of hell my dad was like i i don't really like it you know it doesn't sound great but it's what the bible teaches but we also need to be able to grasp that that this teaching is meant to be a comfort for us um uh so yeah so it really ended to sum it all up uh as as uh uh as as revelation 12 says the devil's already been cast down but he continues to fight against Christ's church. But in the end, it's going to be made abundantly clear that he's defeated. And we know right now by, his, by Christ's word that the devil is defeated. Um, and these words should comfort us. And even though we feel the taunts, we feel the, the, the pressure of our sin and of the world, of the devil, um, we know that uh, from this revelation that it is, it is finished and it will be shown in full. Uh, when our Lord appears. Yeah, I mean, this is where what you were saying earlier, these things have, have taken place, and we're waiting for them to be revealed fully, which is where Revelation is starting to take us as we get closer to the end of the book, almost now to chapter 20, which we'll pick up in the next episode. That's uh, a, you know, to see the enemies of God dealt with fully and finally, this should bring us great comfort to know that we will rejoice in the Lord's presence forevermore, without any danger whatsoever to to that at all. That, that, that is a wonderful comfort. And so to see the Lord deal with his enemies in this way, 
in this text is is absolutely wonderful. About two minutes here, Pastor Preuss, help us to wrap things up on what we see here from our Lord Jesus in Revelation 19. Yeah, well, he ends he ends by talking about the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, um, and that it killed the rest of them, right? So not just the beast, right? Uh, the, you know, the beast uh, was was thrown into, and the false prophet who deceived many, you know, were were, fall, were 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 thrown into the lake of fire, but then it says that the rest of them, those who those who followed the beast and the false prophet um, were defeated by the sword that came out of his mouth. Uh, and and that, that should teach us that the devil and his minions are defeated by the word. And the word may not seem so powerful. You know, it's often put down, it's despised, it's looked at as just, it's just a writings of men, um, a collection of ideas, but it is a two-edged sword. And we should take comfort uh, and confidence in this word um, because God is going to vindicate his word. Hmm. Pastor Andrew Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. He has been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 21. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me again. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about this section of Revelation 19, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.